The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I'm a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we're doing Chapter 5, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Man, that's a tongue twister. Speaking of tongue twister, this chapter starts out with Harry traveling through the flu powder network after leaving the Dursleys. Immediately when he exits the Weasley's fireplace, Fred and George rush to him and ask him if Dudley ate the candy and how big his tongue got. This candy was one of Fred and George's Weasley's Wizard Wheezes inventions called Tun Tongue Toffee. These wheezes, as they call them, are very skilled and dangerous pranks. Ron and Ginny tell Harry that they often heard loud explosions coming from Fred and George's room and could only imagine what was going on in there. Fred and George are extremely talented at creating these joke inventions. Mrs. Weasley despises their wheezes and says something to them about how she's worried for their future and how they'll never amount to anything if they don't start taking things more seriously in life. This got me thinking about how some kids who play video games a lot or board games or whatever, they might be told that they should spend their time doing something more productive. However, in the future, these kids might become famous video game streamers or joke aficionados who make millions of dollars. It appears that sometimes kids have gifts that should actually be nourished. What are your thoughts on situations like this? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think you're right. A lot of times adults especially might think in a really rigid way about what success looks like because maybe that's what it looked like for them. For Arthur and Molly, it probably meant going to school and then doing the training and then for Arthur to get a job at the ministry. And so they probably think this is what success looks like. And Percy, who in some ways follows their footsteps or Arthur's footsteps, to them that looks like a success, even though we know how Percy turns out to be. A lot of times people might not think that there are other ways to become successful and sometimes it doesn't involve school. And so I'm really glad to see this really cool example of how people don't need education or degree, some fancy degree from a fancy university or whatever in order to be successful in life. 
we tend to fall into certain societal scripts that success means a diploma from a prestigious school, a specific kind of a career, or getting promoted a certain kind of way, or having a particular kind of relationships, etc. But that's not what everyone needs to do in order to be successful. And as we see so beautifully with Fred and George, they kind of defy all of these scripts, right? And find their own path and they're financially independent and they're doing what they love. And I think that it's really helpful for us to think about diverse ways of being successful and honoring everyone else's path. Love it. And I wholeheartedly agree to it. This chapter is all over the place and it's kind of short. And I think it's a filler chapter, really. There's this great scene where Mr. Weasley bursts from the fireplace in rage. He starts yelling at Fred and George about the prank they pulled. Dudley's tongue had grown over four feet long before the Dursleys allowed Mr. Weasley to shrink it. Mr. Weasley tells them, just wait until their mother gets home. I thought this was fantastic because normally and stereotypically, it's always just wait until your father gets home. But this time they kind of reversed it. Just wait until your mother gets home. Either way, it's still the old good cop, bad cop routine. However, when she arrives, Mr. Weasley doesn't tell on the boys. Mr. Weasley's kind of a softie and he really doesn't want them to be in any further trouble. Can you discuss the good cop, bad cop approach and why you think Mr. Weasley threatened the boys this way but didn't follow through? Well, I think a lot of times there's this kind of a polarization of parents, right? Where one is kind of, as you said, the good cop and the other is a bad cop. But I actually don't think that's helpful because it shows that the parents are not on the same page. It creates distrust and potentially lies between the parents. And it teaches kids that if they want something, they go to the quote unquote nice parent and don't tell the more stringent parent. And therefore they can get away with it by saying, oh, but dad said it's okay. And although it's endearing to read, I don't think it's the best kind of parenting because then we're A, perpetuating stereotypes of nagging mothers, which should not be the case, but B, also perpetuating that it's okay for couples to have this kind of a discrepancy between the two of them to where one is kind of having veil over their eyes or maybe in some situations even being gaslighted about what's going on. I think that it's effective when Arthur threatens kids with Molly because they're all afraid of her. But I also think that him doing that is not very helpful and he might think he's being kind, but it's not very nice that he and Molly have secrets like that between the two of them. I, I think that can create distrust and further arguing between the parents and the children. Well, it also leads to kids manipulating the situations to get their ways. Because <laughs> if you have these two polar opposites, it's way easier to manipulate a situation. 100%. This chapter introduces a bunch of new characters, some of whom are of later importance and some who are just there. We meet the older Weasley brothers, Charlie, who's the dragon tamer out in Romania, and Bill, who works for Gringotts. Charlie, from the description, appears kind of normal, but Bill appears cool. He has long hair, it's in a ponytail, and he has an earring, and Harry immediately thinks, man, this guy's cool. And this got me thinking about judging a book by its cover. 
Can you discuss how appearances can sometimes sway someone's opinions and perceptions about them? Especially now with movies and television shows and video games and, and, and even the way some people are portrayed in books, including this book. I think it can create certain stereotypes. And unfortunately, as we discussed on a number of our episodes, this series is unfortunately fad phobic, where a lot of the not very nice characters are depicted as overweighed in a really critical and grotesque way, perpetuating stereotypes that people who are overweight are somehow bad or lazy, which is not true. And I think that sometimes we might learn that people who are attractive by certain societal standards, right? Maybe they either have long hair or short hair or whatever that looks like, that A, there's such a thing as societal norms for attraction, which I think that alone is outdated. And B, that certain people who look a certain way are either good or bad or smart or not smart. I think that before we see somebody in a certain light, it's important to get to know them. I really like this idea of beauty being in the eye of the beholder to where when we really get to know somebody, I think that's when we can truly feel that either attraction or trust, right? But I think a lot of it comes from that person's actions, not their appearance. Yeah, most definitely. I couldn't help but think back to this experience I had when I was younger. When I was in high school, I was a metalhead. I had long hair, wore metal t-shirts and all black all the time and leather jackets, you know, the whole thing. One day I was driving and a cop pulls me over. I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't doing nothing wrong at all. And I was so surprised. I even looked at him. I was like, you're pulling me over? Like, yeah, you know, pull over. He was, he was so mean. And he proceeded to ask me if he can search my car. And I was like, no. Thankfully, I had a sister who told me about my rights and stuff and how cops only have a certain amount of power. I think he pulled me over because I look like this long-haired stoner guy. And he was trying to bust me for having drugs in my car or something. But I didn't do anything. He said I was speeding and all of a sudden he wanted to search my car. Well, if I'm speeding, what does that have to do with searching my vehicle? And I know it was all based off of my appearance. And unfortunately, things like that often chronically to a really horrific degree happen to people of color, especially exactly. black men. And it's absolutely heartbreaking and just horrific. So I'm really glad that you brought this up. It's something that a lot of us who are either white or presenting white don't think about because it's not something that we might experience. And yet for a lot of individuals, especially people with darker skin, especially black men, leaving the house is something that can be scary. Getting behind the wheel every single day is something that can be scary. And I've had a number of clients that were working through a number of different traumatic experiences. And, you know, when I ask them some of their fears or concerns, sometimes they say, well, when I drive to the grocery store, I wonder, will I be pulled over by a cop or will I run into a cop in the grocery store? And it's really heartbreaking that this is something, unfortunately, to this day, a lot of individuals, especially people of color, especially black individuals think about because unfortunately, these kind of horrific prejudiced actions toward them are still here. Yeah, it is such a sad situation. I remember, if I may 
tell a brief little story. I was visiting a friend in LA and my friend was African-American. We were going to visit his auntie who was having a barbecue. And if you can imagine, I guess, I was the only white guy in this car. There's four African-Americans. I was in the middle seat and we get pulled over. They make my friend who was a driver get out of the car and everything. And they put their head in the window and ask me all these questions. Are you okay? Are they bothering you? And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, I'm with my friends. We're going to a barbecue. But the perception was that they thought they were kidnapping me or doing something bad. It was so horrible. That's and horrific. That, yes. That oh my made gosh. Me, yeah. That was the first time I really saw like the difference. They just pulled him over for nothing just because I happened to be in the car. Just for riding with a white boy. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. We talked about it all day and they're like, this stuff happens all the time. It's crazy how appearances can lead to these situations and stereotypes. Anyway, I'm glad we got to talk about that. You had mentioned Percy Weasley. And in this chapter, like I said, it's kind of all over the place. But for some reason, Percy Weasley is the character I found myself reflecting the most on in this chapter. Because Percy was a model student. He received top grades, was a prefect, and later on, he became the head boy. After he graduated from Hogwarts, he got a job working for the Ministry of Magic in the Department of International and Magical Cooperation. On paper, he appears to be a very successful person. However, he seems to brag a lot and really try to promote his importance. He wants to feel and be important. It's almost as though he doesn't feel successful or he feels a little bit of the fraud syndrome. Can you discuss this type of behavior and why you think Percy overplays his importance at the Ministry of Magic? Well, for one, Percy is one of, what, seven children, I believe. And I wonder if seeing the way people look at Charlie and Bill makes him want to stand out too. And the one thing that Percy's always had like Hermione, is that he's really smart. And I think that in trying to focus on his accolades, like school achievements and being a prefect and having the really good scores and then getting into the Ministry of Magic, I think it's one way that he's trying to stand out from his siblings. It doesn't necessarily excuse some of the ways that he started acting and then the way that he behaved himself in subsequent books. I think that seeing the way that people are praising Bill and Charlie, I think probably makes Percy want to be his own person and to be recognized for his own things. And unfortunately for a lot of people, They might have something that they're good at, whether they're good at sports or they're smart, and they think that's the only value they bring to the world. We see the same thing for people that get into Ivy League schools. They think it's the one value they bring to the world, right? And then if they either don't do well or they need to drop out or, you know, something happens, then they devalue themselves. And for Percy, he's a brother and a son, and he is a friend and he has these roles that he plays that are important and lastly he could be a really good person but at this point in his life he's not being one and i think that his pursuit of individuality and trying to outshine his other siblings is in a lot of ways making him not a very good person and someone that's difficult to be around Yeah, most definitely. He becomes an easy target for someone like Fred and George to poke fun at all the time, and which they do play a prank on him. Ultimately, that's 
it for this chapter. It wasn't the greatest chapter, in my opinion, but we're going to go ahead and end this uh, episode here. Again, my name is Dustin. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Harry Potter Therapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind, stay magical, and take care. <laughs>